0: And as you do sit down, uh, do take up your Bibles and turn with me to page 1188, 1188, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. (laughs) Hope you've got that and then... uh, Do find a copy of the uh, sermon outline just in case I go off track. It'll keep you on track uh, so you know where we're going. Shall we pray now as we come to God's Word? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for uh, these words that you have given us, words that speak of the Lord Jesus coming. And Father, we admit that uh, far too often we take uh, this truth for granted but we don't actually act on it. We may believe it, but we don't behave in the light of it. And so we pray, Lord, as we look at these words this morning, you would help us to come afresh to them and allow ourselves to be taught by you through them and that we would be transformed by them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you stop to think about it, uh, one of the things that most influences the way that each of us live is the future. Uh, Take Christmas, for example. We all know Christmas is coming. We've been getting prepared for it for ages so that we are finally ready for it when it comes. And yet, uh, however much preparation you've been doing, I've been doing, uh, in our house there's at least one to do list. And I, I guess in every single household that's represented here this morning, there is at least one to-do list that is still being worked through in advance of Christmas. And it's easy, isn't it, for us to just disappear into a sort of flurry, a whirlwind of activity as we approach that date. And then, of course, it doesn't stop at Christmas. There's the new year, and then there'll be something else that looms large on the horizon. Perhaps it'll be uh, getting married for some of us, uh, exams for others, uh, holidays in the warm sun, Weddings, birthdays, even retirement for some of us. There's something always on that future horizon that drives us forward, something to look forward to, something to prepare for. And this morning we're going to be taking a final look, for the time being at least, at the future event that should have the biggest effect on how we live. That event is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the past coming that we remember, that first Christmas day when he came to save us, but the future coming on that last day, the day of judgment, when he will come to judge us all. Last week in chapter 4, the end of it, uh, we looked at the first part of Paul's teaching about this event to the uh, church in Thessalonica. And in it, he was teaching them about something that they didn't know. Verse 13, they were ignorant about what happens to believers in Jesus who die before he comes back. And now in our passage this morning, he is teaching them and us something that we should know. Verse 5, sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well. They knew very well that Jesus was coming and that they didn't need to know when. But something had gone on in Thessalonica to make them start to ask the question, when is Jesus coming? And we all know what that's like, don't we? Uh, Often, I think, when we come to Scripture, there are things that we don't know that the Bible tells us. We don't know about some area of the Christian life or or God's character. And so we can't live out the consequences. Whereas this week, as we come to uh, God's Word, there's something that we should know. And the problem is we don't actually live in accordance with it. There were lots of reasons for the Thessalonians to, uh, as it were, take their eye off the ball. And I think one of the key reasons for the Thessalonians as to why they started to wonder about when Jesus was coming was because a number of them had been dying and they were facing persecution. If you just turn back a page to uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, just remind you of the situation there. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. The Christians in Thessalonica were suffering for being believers in Christ Jesus. Indeed, some were even being martyred. And so they were asking, when is the cavalry coming? When is Jesus coming? Because, of course, when Jesus comes, it will be all over. They will go to be with Jesus forever. It will be the end of trouble and persecution. And, of course, they will be reunited with their loved ones again. And I think those are similar thoughts for ourselves here today. It's getting harder, isn't it, to be a Christian, to stand up and speak about Jesus. Just think back about the last week. How many times have you spoken about Jesus? How many times would you have spoken about Jesus if it had just been a little bit more easy? And then, of course, we've lost loved ones these past few weeks. A number have died and we miss them and we long to see them again. And that means that that we should be longing for Jesus to come again. The Thessalonians' mistake was that they believed it was going to be almost immediate and they worried that they'd missed out, that he'd come and they'd missed him. For us, I think our mistake is not that we think he's come, but we don't think that he's coming. We don't think he's coming, and so we don't behave appropriately. And so I want to make two key points this morning. The first is from verses 1 to 4, and it's this, that Jesus is coming, but we don't know when. Jesus is coming, but we don't know when. We've already seen in verse 1, Paul says, look, we don't need to write to you about these things. For verse 2, you know very well that that day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We don't need to speak to you because it's going to happen. Probably uh, Paul had spoken about this when he was with them. And probably Paul taught them from the very words of Jesus Christ. We heard them in our first reading from Matthew 24, verse 42. Jesus himself again uses that illustration of the thief in the night coming. And Jesus, even before he speaks about the thief in the night coming, he says that actually he doesn't know when he's due to come back. Only the Father knows. And so we shouldn't presume in any way that we should be those who know he's coming. We know he's coming, but we don't know when. And the certainty is made clear by two further illustrations. Firstly, by that thief that always comes in the night, always comes, and by the baby that always comes in its own time also. And Paul is saying, look, Christians have confidence. The cavalry is coming. Jesus is on his way. Now, once again, uh, you've probably seen the adverts by the police Saying, look, lock up your homes tightly. Be alert. Be prepared. Because Christmas is the time for the thief to come. It's the most likely time for you to be burgled. Indeed, it happened uh, in Ali, my wife's family, a few years ago. They came, burgled the house, and even burgled the freezer and took everything they were going to eat for Christmas. We call those things presents. Thieves call them swag or booty. They call them money to be made. You see, of course, the obvious thing is we've wrapped up pristine presents for everybody. we brought them brand new from the shops. And, of course, that's an open invitation, isn't it, to the thief to come in and snatch and then to sell on as new the certainty that they'll come at Christmas. They will come, maybe not to your home, but to others. Now, some of us, Uh, hear and heed that warning, don't we? We lock up tight, but others go on as normal, saying, peace and safety. Thieves have never come to my house, and so they're never, ever going to come. But that's foolish talk, isn't it? It's foolish to behave that way. And some of us behave exactly the same towards Jesus' coming. He's coming, it is certain. Some of us hear and heed it, but others, verse 3, say this, Peace and safety. Nothing to worry about. He hasn't come yet. It won't happen. And Look, I look in my diary, in my personal organiser, and look, there's no date that says Jesus is coming on it. It all seems very far-fetched. There are bound to be a few people here this morning who think that. Both those who are not yet Christians, and I suspect a number who are Christians, but privately begin to doubt whether Jesus really will come if you're someone who's thinking that this morning, it's worth remembering some of the other seemingly far-fetched promises that Jesus made. For example, he said that he will be killed, and then on the third day rise again from the dead? Well, if you don't believe that, you might want to look up three bits in Mark. Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and Mark 10.33-34. to 34. That promise, those promises by Jesus, they sounded far fetched, but they happened. Jesus has a proven track record of keeping promises that sound far fetched. And indeed, the, the, uh, the early church, they cottoned on to that. So in Acts 17, verse 31, in a sermon in, in Athens, Paul says these words For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by the raising of him from the dead. We don't know when Jesus is coming, but we do know he will come. And we also know two things about the timing. The first is that it will be sudden. It will be sudden, verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. How foolish such people will be on that day. One moment proclaiming peace and safety, the next moment suddenly face to face with the coming Jesus Christ, who will judge them, and they will feel the full force of his wrath. It will be sudden. And secondly, we know that when Jesus is coming, so we don't know when Jesus is coming. We do know it will be sudden, but it should not be a surprise. It should not take us by surprise. Listen to verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. It shouldn't be a surprise. Well, here's a question to get you in the mood for those Christmas cracker jokes. Uh, here's the question. When is a surprise not a surprise? When is a surprise not a surprise? Answer, when you're expecting it. When you're expecting it. The pregnant mother, she knows that her baby is coming. It's just a matter of time. And suddenly it arrives, but she's expecting it. It's not a surprise. She's been waiting. She knows. And so that means, Paul says, there's a marked difference between the Christian believer on the one hand and the non-Christian if you're a Christian here this morning, have confidence that Jesus is coming. You aren't in the dark. You aren't, aren't, you aren't uncertain about what's going to happen in the future. Expect him. There was a generation, a number of generations in this country, who used to talk about DV. Uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Uh, Deo volunt Deo volunt Meaning God Willing. And so when they wrote something in their diary, a future date, like a birthday or whatever it was, they would put DV. They would make plans in the light of knowing Jesus was coming. Because, of course, if Jesus came in the meantime, that event would never take place. And, of course, it made sure that they were always ready and waiting, knowing that Jesus was coming. Maybe that is something that you need to do in your diary, or in your personal organiser, just to remind you that he's coming. But if you're not a Christian person here this morning, can I encourage you to think that life is not sewn up? You may think that your life is secure, that you're in control of your future. But you know, Jesus is coming. He's promised to do so. We don't know when it will be. We do know it will be sudden. But it needn't be a surprise to you. You know he's coming now. And unless you are right with him, that will be an awful prospect. It will not be happy. And as we continue to look through the rest of this passage, can I say to you, look at what the Christian has. Look at the confidence that the Christian has to face that day and to face the Lord Jesus face to face. You too can know that confidence. So, first off, Jesus is coming. But we don't know when. Second, Jesus is coming, so don't behave otherwise. Verses 5 to 11. I'm just going to go back to verse 4 for a moment to read on. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert. And self controlled. Alert and self controlled. Do you see here that Paul speaks of the brothers on the one hand, the Christians, and the others on the other? The sons of light and those who belong to the night or the darkness. Christians are those who have believed in the light of the world, the Jesus Christ. They've been illuminated by him, they have become what Jesus promised. John 12, verse 36, he said, Put your trust in the light, in me, so that you may become sons of light. And so Paul says, Look, if you are sons of the light, if you are Christians, you no longer believe, belong to the darkness. You no longer belong to night, to ignorance and unbelief. Just imagine for a moment uh, two people go camping, each of them in their own tent. And uh, one pitches his tent with the door facing east, that's that way. And the other with the door facing that way, facing west. Next day, both of them get up early in the morning. They look out of the door of their tent at exactly the same time. And the one facing east sees the sun rising, just as I did this morning. Saw the sun rising and knew that it was time to get up. He unzips his sleeping bag, gets up, gets dressed and gets on with the day. The day has arrived. The other one, facing west, opens his door, and he sees none of that. He just sees darkness. It still seems to be the night. And he goes back and huddles down and goes back to sleep. Later in the morning, of course, the sun's come up, and it wakes him up. The tent is full of light, and he realises he's missed The beginning of the day. He's missed half the day and it's already upon him. And that, you see, is is what Paul is saying here. It's the picture of the Christian and the non Christian. The Christian has seen the first light of Jesus coming into the world. He's got up and got on knowing that the full light will soon come when Jesus returns. The non Christian, he's had the, the benefit of being able to see that the light has come, but he's ignored it. And he's in for a shock when he wakes up to the fact that Jesus is coming back, that the full light of day will be upon him, and he's face to face with Jesus Christ. Paul's intention here is to wake Christians up to see that they are sons of light and should live as sons of light. Be who you are. Be the brothers, not the others. That's what Paul is saying here. And we see in verses 6 through to 11 three implications of being sons of light The first is this, be alert and self-controlled. Verse 6, so then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. If you're a Christian person here this morning, you are not to live, not to live as those who are asleep, unaware of Jesus' coming. We're to be alert, we're to be reminding ourselves that he is coming and we're to be self-controlled. We're to allow Jesus' coming to control, to shape, to prioritise who we are and how we live, right here and now and in the future. John Wesley was once asked what he would do if he knew that Jesus was coming back in the next week. He got out his diary, he opened it up and he he looked at the person and he said, nothing different. I would do everything that I had planned. You see, he had already set his priorities by the fact that Jesus was coming. But I wonder, but how about you and me? How about you and me? What story does your diary or your personal organiser tell? Does it say that you're ready, that you're looking forward to Jesus coming? Or does it say something different? Are there things that as we go home this morning... And look in our diaries that that we need to scrub out as being unimportant or perhaps as distractions and other things that we should put in. Paul says here, be alert, be self controlled, know what you are doing all the time. That you see is why he says, look, don't be asleep, because if you're asleep, you can't be alert and ready. And he says, don't be drunk. Don't allow the things of this life to make us oblivious and unable to respond to Jesus. And of course, alcohol is a classic example, isn't it? You know, I I just can't believe how often I keep on hearing of Christians getting drunk. Even at Christmas time, and especially at Christmas time. It's so inconsistent, it's so inappropriate, isn't it? Don't you agree? For people who are to be alert and ready, and yet getting drunk being out of control and unready for the coming Christ. No, you see, we are to be self-controlled and alert. Those who are ready, sons of light and awake. Second, we're to be reassured. Verses 8 through to 10. Paul continues, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And then I'm afraid our translation is slightly wrong here. It doesn't say putting on faith, it says having put on. So we are those who belong to the day and are self controlled, and we have put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see, this is a picture that Paul is painting here again. It's another illustration, this time of a Roman soldier getting up, getting ready to go to duty. You see, a Roman soldier wouldn't pitch up to go on duty in his pajamas, would he? In fact, you and I wouldn't come here in our pajamas. I look around. There's nobody come in your pajamas this morning. No, we are to be those who are sons and light, dressed appropriately. And that, that, that trio of faith and love and hope, the trio that was right there back at the beginning of the letter to the Thessalonians, those are the hallmarks of the believer. The hallmarks of the genuine Christian, a faith that works, 1 verse 3, that trusts in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, a a love that labours, that labours for other Christians to help one another to to make sure that we do stay on track for Jesus and that means that we labour for those that we know and love that live around us who don't know Jesus so that they can come to know him. And a hope that endures, that sure and certain hope, that confidence that when we meet Jesus face to face, he will take us to be with him in heaven forever. And that brings such reassurance, not not because of who we are, but because, did you notice, verse 9 and 10, because of what God has done. Because God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died so that we, whether we are awake, i.e. living when Jesus returns, or asleep, whether we've died when Jesus returns, we may live together with him. That is the reassurance that we have. It's not in us. It's in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross that he endured hell for you and me. That is the reassurance that the Christian has in the face of Jesus' coming. And I hope, if you're a Christian believer here this morning, that that is your hope and your reassurance day by day. That metaphorically you're putting it on each day to remind yourself. Going out and getting on. But also, if you're you're not someone who believes in Jesus, this shows you where to find safety on that day of judgment when Jesus comes. Don't please kid yourself he's not coming. He is. We know that already. He's on his way and he will appear suddenly. And he will bring salvation for those who believe in Jesus. And destruction. Eternity and hell for those who don't. Can Can I beg you, if you're somebody like that who doesn't believe yet, to wake up, to take this future date with certainty and seriousness. Can I ask you to seriously think about who Jesus is? To what it will be like for you to meet him face to face? And to reach out to him in faith and receive the salvation that he offers? You know, uh, you may well have a Christian family. They are longing for you to do that. You may have Christian friends. They are longing for you to do that. That you may know the certainty that they have that we have. Jesus is coming. Be alert, self controlled, be reassured in Christ Jesus. And then finally, an appeal to the Christians, verse 11. Be encouraging one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Paul knows that the Thessalonians he's writing to are already saying to one another, hey, look, Jesus is coming back. But isn't it going to be great? Because we know it's happening. And we're waiting and ready for him. And Paul is saying to them, keep on doing that. And he's saying to you and I, get on and do it. Get on and do it. So in those moments after our church meeting this morning, turn to one another, as you probably do. But don't just pass the pleasantries that any normal person would pass. Like the others would pass to one another. But be brothers, sisters, sisters and say, isn't it great, Jesus is coming back. Let us encourage one another and remind one another who we are, what we believe, and how we are to live. Do it when we bump into one another at the shops, when we bump into one another in the streets in which we live, when we work. Great opportunities. And of course, you don't need me to tell you, that's the classic reason for being in a small group having one another to encourage one another, to stand firm in Christ Jesus, to remember that he is coming, even if we don't know when, to remember that he is coming and we shouldn't live otherwise. These are great things to talk about and encourage one another with, aren't they? So let's resolve to do that. Let's resolve to do that immediately we leave here so that we keep on going to the end. And we can be reassured as we do so. Well, let's just take a moment of quiet. Something here for each of us to respond to. And then in a moment I will pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you know where each of us stands with you. You know exactly the judgment you will give us on that final day. And we pray that we would live firstly in the light of that coming, in the light of your arrival. Help us not to kid ourselves. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for uh, those of us who do believe, Help us to keep on walking on, alert and self-controlled, ready and reassured. Help us to live as sons of light that we are. And for those of us, Father, who are still looking into what it means to be a Christian, please help us to believe. Help each person who perhaps has yet to put their faith in you to do that even today, even as they go home. That they too may know that reassurance for that final day. That they too may go to be with you in heaven for eternity. And Lord Jesus, we ask all these things for your glory. Amen.